Welcome back to Nightfalls, the bedtime show of classic and original stories designed to guide you into a calm and peaceful sleep. I'm Jeffrey, and before we settle in, if you like the show, please hit follow. It massively helps the show and means you never miss an episode. Tonight, Let's return to the old chapel in the woods that is home to an old friend of ours, Charlotte. Now Charlotte is all grown up and has a son to share the chapel with. One day, a mysterious creature comes to town and despite his usual aversion to reading, the young boy finds himself turning to his mother's library for help. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who keep this free content possible. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. They say that a home can tell you everything you need to know about its owners without you ever needing to meet them. In Charlotte's case, that was true. Charlotte lived in an old chapel that had been converted into a quaint little house. At first glance, it didn't look particularly big and it wasn't especially grand. But once you took notice of the little details, you could see that this house was humble, but special. The pretty flowers that adorned the brightly coloured front door welcomed passers-by to knock and say hello. The circular stained glass windows portrayed images of folklore stories hinting at the wealth of knowledge and creativity that lay inside. 
The little chapel house was perched on the edge of the forest and next to the path into town. The house was perfectly placed between the bustling town of humans and the entrance to the mystical forest full of creatures. It was a perfect representation of how Charlotte liked to bridge the gap between human practicality and otherworldly enchantment. Charlotte had lived in the old chapel house all of her life. First, she had lived there with her father, and now she lived there with her son, Peter. Despite the change in companions over the years, one thing had remained the same, and that was the incredible book collection that lined the inner walls of the house. Charlotte's father had built the bookshelves long ago and gradually filled the shelves with over a thousand books. Charlotte had spent the majority of her childhood working her way through the impressive collection, building her knowledge on all sorts of subjects and losing herself in mystical, imaginary worlds and far-off lands. Despite the fact that Charlotte had read all of the books on the shelves and they were simply gathering dust as the years went by, she couldn't bring herself to replace a single one of them. Each one held a special place in her heart and brought back memories of her childhood. As a young girl, every evening after school, she would sit upstairs by the stained glass window on the mezzanine and devour the pages of each book. She would absorb all of the words and information with delight and then rush downstairs to share what she had read with her father. They would discuss the books over dinner or over a late night cup of tea and Charlotte never felt like she bonded more with her father than in those moments. Anybody who visited their quirky chapel house was astounded by the wall of books. Charlotte herself had always found them impressive too, and she had hoped that the same intrigue and admiration would be passed down to her son. Unfortunately, it was not quite the case. Charlotte's son, Peter, was 12 years old and he didn't have much interest in books. Peter much preferred to be outside, taking part in sports and energetic activities, as well as hanging out in town with his friends. He was a typical teenage boy and a far cry from the studious, quiet bookworm that Charlotte had been at his age. Charlotte had attempted to pique Peter's interest in reading from a young age by telling him bedtime stories at night as he settled down for bed. As a young child, he had adored his mother's imaginative tales and had looked up to her as his master storyteller. Charlotte adored those early years 
and was delighted that her son was showing an interest in the thing that was very important to her. However, as Peter grew older, he became less interested in his mother's stories, and he rarely ever picked out a book from the illustrious bookshelves that lined their house. Instead, he would race out of bed at the crack of dawn to play outside and meet his friends. Then he would return home for dinner and fall straight into bed after a long day of exerting himself. Charlotte didn't begrudge her son for his lack of interest in literature. He was his own person at the end of the day, and she couldn't expect him to squeeze himself into a mould she had carved out if it wasn't true to him. So, Charlotte shared her passion for literature with other people instead. She ran the local library in the heart of their town. Every day, Charlotte got the chance to discuss books, give recommendations, and tell stories to the adults and childrens who walked through her library door. It was a peaceful profession, and one that filled Charlotte with immense satisfaction. She counted her blessings every day that she was able to do what she loved for work. One peaceful Sunday... Charlotte was tending to the garden that ran down the side of their house, while Peter practiced his archery in the clearing out back. Charlotte's father had been a keen gardener, and the bushes, flowers and trees that filled their garden had been his pride and joy. Despite Charlotte being far from a green thumb, She tried to maintain the marvellous garden as best as she could. When Peter was younger, he used to assist her by pruning the bushes, watering the flowers, and helping her pick the apples and other fruits from the trees. Nowadays, Peter wasn't interested in this sort of slow, mindful work, and he left his mother to it while he played in the garden elsewhere. Peter picked up an arrow from the ground and placed it against his bow. He brought his elbow up above the line of the arrow and drew back to the anchor point, lining it up with the target. He released the arrow with a ping and watched as it hurtled through the air and struck the outer ring of the target. Peter kicked the ground with frustration He just couldn't seem to get it right and hit the bullseye, no matter how many times he tried. Never one to quit, Peter picked up another arrow and tried again. This time, the arrow landed on the opposite side of the target, and he sighed. Out of nowhere, an unfamiliar voice piped up and said, Your aim isn't quite right. You need to focus more before you let go. Peter was surprised. He was brazen enough to come by his house and give him advice on archery. Peter retorted to the unrecognizable voice. Well, if you're so good, why don't you come and show me how to do it yourself? 
Peter looked around behind him to see where the voice had come from, but saw no one. With confusion, he turned back to glance at the target, and to his astonishment, he saw a centaur emerge from the trees beyond. Peter's mouth hung open in awe. He had never seen a centaur before. He hadn't even believed that they were real in the first place. Seeing the fascinating half-man, half-horse standing in front of him, Peter stuttered over his words. You, you're a centaur? He stammered, taking a step back towards the house. The centaur replied with a flick of his long black hair. Yes, I am, which means I know a thing or two about archery. I can show you how to aim better if you like. As Peter stared at the centaur, he noticed that he was young, maybe about a similar age to Peter. He had a human upper body but the legs of a grey horse. He had a mane of silky raven black hair that ran down his back and a thick tail that swooshed from side to side as he walked on his four hooved legs. Peter didn't know what to do. Should he run? Were centaurs friendly creatures? He'd never studied up on them before. Perhaps he should have read one of his mother's books every once in a while to research the mystical creatures that allegedly lived within the nearby forest. Then he would have known how to respond. Without waiting for Peter's invitation, the young centaur strode forward with his powerful legs and held his hand out to take Peter's bow. Peter handed it over cautiously and stood back out of the way as the centaur collected an arrow from Peter's wicker basket on the ground and placed it against the bow. The centaur instructed, You have good form, but your aim is too wide. Take more time. Survey the scene. Identify the target. Draw your bow. Aim and release. Make sure you're a bit more relaxed, too. The young centaur demonstrated his technique, fired the arrow and hit a perfect bullseye. Peter gasped with a mixture of envy and wonderment. The centaur had made it look so easy. The centaur turned back to Peter proudly, held out the bow and said, Now it's your turn. With the guidance of the centaur, Peter practiced his shooting and it wasn't long before he hit his first bullseye. He had been trying to do so for so long and within just a brief amount of time with the centaur, he had achieved his goal. He was very grateful. Peter came to learn that the young centaur was called Galder, and he lived deep in the forest with his tribe of fellow centaurs. 
Peter admitted that he hadn't believed that centaurs were real until now. He'd never seen an enchanted creature for himself before. His mother had always told him that the likes of centaurs, goblins, fairies, and other mythical creatures existed, but he had suspected her of having gotten too lost in her storybooks. He didn't believe it himself. Calder laughed and informed him that they all were very much real. Where do you live? Peter asked, eager to learn more. Is it close to here? Now that he knew that centaurs and other enchanted creatures were real, he felt intrigued to find out more about them. Calder told him that the centaurs were nomadic and lived within the forest, but moved around every day. The centaurs didn't like to stay put in one place for long. As he spoke, Galder's eyes grew heavy, and he looked down at the ground with a sense of unease. Peter noticed his change in temperament as he spoke, and asked if he was all right. Galder sighed and confessed. Truth be told, I haven't seen my tribe of centaurs in a few days, the young centaur admitted. I wandered off, chasing a tricky rabbit that caught my attention and ventured too far. I slipped down a muddy gorge and lost my bow and arrow, along with the rabbit. When I eventually climbed my way back up the gorge and tried to find my route back to camp, I realized that I was lost. Been trying to track down my tribe for days, but still haven't found them yet. Peter felt sorry for Galder and tried to think of how he could help his new friend. He suggested that they ask his mother if she had any ideas. Maybe she would come up with a way to find the centaur's tribe. Peter led Galder around the side of the house and into the pretty garden where Charlotte was peacefully tending to the plants. As she saw the majestic young centaur trotting towards her, she grinned with amusement. It looked like her son had made a very interesting friend today. Peter introduced Galder to his mother and asked if she had any idea how they could reunite Galder with his tribe. Charlotte racked her brain and then smiled with realization. This was a perfect opportunity to introduce her son to the power and importance of books. She suggested, I think we have a book all about centaurs on the third shelf down from the ceiling. Maybe it will give you a hint about their migration patterns. Peter raced inside the house, beckoning Galder to follow him. He dashed over to the ladder that ran all the way up the wall of books and started to climb up to the third shelf. Galder observed the huge wall of books with amazement and asked, Are you a sorcerer? 
Peter chuckled and replied, No, my mum just really likes books. Peter found the book his mother suggested and climbed back down the ladder. He sat down at the kitchen table with Galder by his side and opened up the book, aptly named Centaurs, Fairies and the World of Enchanted Creatures. He flicked to the chapter all about centaurs and began to read aloud. It turned out that Galder couldn't read so it was up to Peter to do all the research. Peter had always taken for granted his ability to read. He had assumed that every human and creature could do it. But now as Galder watched him study the book with fascination, Peter felt like he had a superpower all of his own. According to the book, Whilst centaurs were nomadic creatures who liked to move around and explore, they were also fairly predictable with their movements. When the moon was full, centaurs tended to head to a water source to rejuvenate and replenish their strength and energy. Peter turned to Galder and asked, Do you have a water source that you often go to on a full moon? Galder informed him that there were a few in the forest that they regularly came upon. There was the waterfall by Goblin's Rock, the large pool of sparkling water where the water nymphs liked to frolic, and the Lake of Hope. The Lake of Hope sounded like a good omen to Peter, and he suggested that they start by looking there. Charlotte returned from the garden and inquired as to whether the boys had found anything that might help. Peter informed her about the centaur's full moon ritual, and she added that tonight was due to be a full moon, so they were in perfect time. Charlotte pulled out a map of the forest from the back of a different book and handed it to Peter. They could use this to guide their way through the forest to reunite Galder with his tribe. With a big forest to cover and no time to lose, Peter, Galder and Charlotte packed up a bag of resources and set off into the forest in search of the other centers. The three of them walked for hours through the forest and watched as the sun dipped lower in the sky as the hours passed by. They walked and walked, following the map to find the Lake of Hope, but it was taking longer than they initially thought. Perhaps we missed a turning, Charlotte wondered, peering closely at the map. Galder shook his head and replied, I don't think we did. We turned right at the fork in the path, and the track has been straight since then. Peter looked around and tried to search for signs of nearby water. He couldn't see anything, so he closed his eyes and tried to focus on what he could hear. 
Maybe, if he listened closely, he could hear the sounds of water if it was nearby. He honed in on the noises around him. He could hear the sounds of their breathing and the gentle, rustling ambiance of the forest around them, but he couldn't make out any flowing, splashing or trickling of water. Then, out of the blue, Peter heard a couple of twigs snap. There were footsteps nearby that didn't belong to them. He opened his eyes and looked around. Ahead of them, walking along the path, was a short creature that he didn't recognize. It looked almost human, but there were certain qualities that assured him they were not. For a start, the creature had huge pointed ears and a long, crooked nose. Its skin was as wrinkled as a paper bag, and it had long, spindly fingers and huge feet. The creature's features looked like they were out of proportion with the rest of its body. The short creature bobbed along the path, muttering to itself under its breath, totally oblivious to their presence. But as soon as it noticed the three of them, it jumped with surprise. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. The odd little man chortled. Charlotte's brow furrowed, and she looked at the little man with recognition. Merlin? she asked with trepidation. Is that you? The old creature's blue eyes grew wide, and he gasped in reply. Is that you, Charlotte? Charlotte rushed forward and embraced the little old man in a hug, much to Peter's bewilderment. The two of them hugged like old friends and were clearly delighted to see one another. Charlotte introduced the little old man to her son, and Peter discovered that Merlin was... In fact, a goblin. It had been many years since Charlotte had seen her old friend Merlin. It was thanks to him that she had her library, and it was he who inspired her to write her first book, all about the history and lives of goblins. Her book had been revolutionary in changing humankind's perspective on the enchanted creatures. Are you out for an evening stroll? Charlotte asked Merlin, noting the setting sun over the trees. The wrinkly old goblin rolled his eyes and replied, Not out for a stroll as such. I'm looking for somewhere quieter to relax for the night. Merlin the goblin looked at Galder and gestured to him before continuing, you pesky centaurs have taken over the waterfall by Goblin's Rock again, and I can never get any rest with you all trotting around the place. Calder and Peter looked at each other with relief. So the centaurs weren't at the Lake of Hope after all. They were at Goblin's Rock instead. They asked the grumpy old goblin 
which way it was to the waterfall, and he gave them directions, begrudgingly. Charlotte thanked her old friend for his help and bid him goodbye. They had better get Galder back to his family before it became too dark for her and Peter to walk home through the forest. Merlin looked at the sunset and shook his head. They would never get to Goblin's Rock and back home again by the time it fell dark. He offered to go with them so that he could guide their way home. After all, goblins were known for their excellent eyesight in the dark. Charlotte and Peter were very grateful and invited the goblin to join them on their mission. The four of them walked along the path, with Merlin leading the way to Goblin's Rock. When they arrived, it was quite a sight to behold. Before today, Peter hadn't believed in any enchanted creatures, but now, here they were, en masse, before his eyes. A tribe of centaurs were setting up camp around the waterfall and bathing in the fresh waters, while a group of goblins grumbled from the entrance of a cave in the aptly named Goblin's Rock. Calder sighed with relief and called out to his tribe to let them know he was back. The centaurs all cheered and waved to him from the waterfall, and Galder trotted over to join them, followed by his new friends. A tall, muscular centaur with long, curly brown hair and a thick, bushy beard patted Galder on the back to welcome him home to his tribe. They had all been wondering where he had gotten off to and had been searching for him for days. Thankfully, the full moon had brought them all back together again by the water. Galder introduced Peter and Charlotte to the mighty centaur named Regen. Galder told Regen all about what they had done to help him and how they had delivered him home safely. Regen and the other centaurs bent their legs and bowed their heads to Charlotte and Peter in gratitude. Regen rose back up onto his powerful horse legs and summoned one of the other centaurs to bring something over to him. He looked to Peter and Charlotte and said in a soft but commanding voice, Thank you for returning Galda to us. We centaurs have dwindled in numbers over the centuries, so it is especially important to us to make sure that every member of our tribe is taken care of. We thank you for your kindness and compassion with a centaur stone. Another centaur passed something into Regen's hand and he asked Peter to hold out his own to take it. Peter felt Regen place something small, cold and smooth in his palm and he looked to see what it was. It was a plain grey stone. Oh, thank you, 
Peter replied with a mixture of gratitude and confusion. The centaur stone didn't look like much. It simply looked like a regular stone you pick up off the ground. Peter could find plenty of other stones like this lying around, so he didn't understand why it was special. But it was the thought that counted. It was the centaur's way of showing thanks, and Peter should respect that. As the centaurs returned to what they were doing, Galder turned to Peter and Charlotte. He was truly thankful for their help, but Peter felt disappointed. He didn't want to say goodbye. He had never had a cooler friend than Galder, and he wanted the centaur to teach him how to use his bow and arrow better. Galder promised that he would visit one day. In the meantime, he told Peter to keep practicing his aim using the technique he had taught him. Remember to relax, Galder reminded him with a smirk. The sun had almost fully set and the forest had grown darker. Merlin the goblin attended Peter and Charlotte's side, holding a glowing lantern in his hand. Are you ready to go home? Merlin asked, and they nodded. Good, Merlin said. The sooner I get away from all these centaurs, the sooner I can relax with a tankard of sunflower juice. Peter and Charlotte giggled and followed the tired old goblin back through the forest, with only the lantern and the moonlight to lead their way. Upon arrival back at their little chapel house, Charlotte offered Merlin to stay the night. He had walked so far and helped them for many hours, but Merlin did not mind. The goblins preferred to roam around at night on account of their nocturnal nature, and he was meeting a friend for sunflower juice down by the wishing tree anyway. Charlotte said goodbye to her old friend, and she and Peter returned inside their house, absolutely exhausted. Charlotte lit a roaring fire beneath the chimney, and Peter sat down at the kitchen table, flicking through the pages of the book all about enchanted creatures. Charlotte noticed her son studying the pages with interest, and she smiled, satisfied. Perhaps her son would make some use of the books on their tall bookshelves yet. As the night drew on and the pair became sleepier, Peter announced he was going to take his book to bed. Charlotte's heart fluttered with delight at this turn of events, but she decided not to draw attention to it and wished him a good night. Before he climbed the stairs, she asked Peter if he still had the centaur stone. He rummaged around in his pocket, 
and pulled out the plain grey stone amusedly. He wondered why the stone was so important to the centaurs, but Charlotte told him not to be ungrateful. She suggested that he place the stone on one of their bookshelves as a reminder of their first encounter with a tribe of centaurs. Peter smiled and agreed it was a great idea. He placed the centaur stone on a shelf at his shoulder height and headed off to bed with a book in his hand. Charlotte stayed up reading her own novel by the fire until her eyes were too heavy to remain open any longer. She drifted off to sleep underneath a blanket by the crackling fire with the shelves of books as the backdrop to her dreams. Now that Peter had seen enchanted creatures for himself, his belief system had been blown wide open and his dreams would never be the same again. Now he knew that anything was possible. As Charlotte and Peter slept peacefully and deeply in the midst of the silent house and the dark night air, unbeknownst to them, the plain grey centaur stone began to gently pulse with a silvery glow that radiated out onto the thousand books that lined the shelves. <laughs>